My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Welcome back to another episode of History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects. Today we're on episode 14 where we'll be discussing Jackson County's secret constitution. When Joseph Smith dedicated Jackson County, Missouri as the future home of Zion, that revelation was recorded, and it can be found in the Mormon Church's Doctrine and Covenants section 58. In verse 4 it reads this, For after much tribulation come the blessings, wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. Crowned with much glory. That sounds pretty great. But those early Mormons had to look at that verse and ask themselves, after much tribulation, what did that mean? The years of 1831 through 1833 were violent times to be living in the United States, and the Mormons were about to be swept up in it. America really seemed to have an us-versus-them mentality, and as you read through the history, a number of examples pop out. In August of 1831, militias were called to assemble all over Virginia and the eastern states to put down a slave rebellion led by Nat Turner. Turner and a number of slaves attacked their owners and then moved from plantation to plantation collecting arms and freeing slaves, and in just under a month, the slaves killed approximately 60 white plantation owners. By the time the militias arrived and put down the slave rebellion, over 120 slaves had been killed. In the aftermath, 18 more were executed, including Nat Turner by hanging, and 14 were transferred out of the state. That was on the eastern side of the United States, and on the western side, things were just as violent. In April of 1832, the Black Hawk War broke out and raged from Wisconsin to Illinois. It began when a Sauk Indian leader named Black Hawk attempted to settle his tribe on colonized lands. So frontier militias organized, and they marched on the Indians, and they opened fire without even engaging intentions. Blackhawk and his warriors would fight back, though, and they'd actually win a number of battles before ultimately fleeing to Wisconsin. They were followed by strengthened U.S. forces, and over the course of five months would eventually lose a number of battles before surrendering. The conflict would result in just under 100 U.S. deaths, and somewhere under 600 Indians would die. The Black Hawk War would frighten Americans all over the western frontier and would see the emergence of a number of future U.S. leaders, including young military captains Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis. In October of 1832, the forced relocation of Indian tribes to the Indian territories would see thousands die on the Trail of Tears. And finally, in March of 1833, civil war almost breaks out as South Carolina just about secedes from the Union and was openly preparing for war when they declare a number of federal tariffs void in their state. Ultimately, though, they'd come to an agreement on the tariffs, but on March 2nd of 1833, Andrew Jackson, learning some lessons about how the federal government should treat some of these southern states, would sign the force bill, allowing the president the authorization of federal force to uphold the laws if necessary. So, after all of that, In the summer of 1833, who'd be paying attention if some small little religious groups were complaining of unfair treatment at the hands of Missouri militias on the western frontier? So, we're back to the Mormon Church. 
The year of 1832 and early 1833 were really good times for the growing church. There are now just over 3,100 Mormons, and more and more are migrating to Missouri every week. Although news arrives that Joseph Smith was tarred and feathered in Ohio, that seemed to the early Mormons to be an Ohio thing, as things were going really well in Missouri. There were now five branches of Mormon congregations, and they were growing every single week. Brethren were called to repent for not working hard enough in 1832, but that was kind of the extent of their problems. Zion is being built, and it's exceeding expectations. Parley P. Pratt would write that, As new arrivals purchased land, built homes, and cultivated the land, peace and plenty had crowned their labors, and the wilderness became a fruitful field, and the solitary place began to bud and blossom as the rose. So the saints assembled each Sunday in their branches to worship. Harmony prevailed among them during these early days in June. Parley even said that there has seldom, if ever, been a happier people upon the earth than the church of the saints now were. The Mormons were buying land, settling farms, building up schools. They had even opened a printing press called the Evening and Morning Star. It was the only press in Jackson County at that time. Joseph Smith had sent Bishop Partridge the Plat of Zion so they could organize and lay out the structure of the city of Zion. But that verse saw much tribulation we read at the beginning. Although things were going better than expected, the locals of Jackson County were secretly getting angry for a number of reasons. First off, the Mormons were culturally clashing with the Missouri settlers. The Mormon population was exploding and old settlers weren't too comfortable being surrounded by these new religiously motivated pilgrims from the east. Most of the old settlers in Missouri were from the south and were a roughshod collection of people. Joseph Smith, after his first visit to Jackson County, reflected on how natural it was to observe the degradation, leanness of intellect, ferocity, and jealousy of a people that were nearly a century behind the times, and to feel for those who roamed about without the benefit of civilization, refinement, or religion. So the Mormons and the settlers just didn't have much in common. Second, the settlers were worried that all these Mormons would shortly tip the scales in their favors politically. Although no Mormons were running for office and they weren't voting in blocks, the Mormons boasted to the settlers about how more and more were coming in the thousands. It would only take a few hundred more to wrestle political control from those who'd established the city and the county. The Mormons weren't doing themselves any favors either. In their zeal to build Zion, they often bragged about how there'd be no Gentiles in Zion. It also didn't help that the Platte of Zion overlapped existing settled farms and large parts of independence already. It didn't take a lot of imagining for the old settlers to see what the future looked like for them, and the Mormons probably stepped over the line too many times bragging about how this was destined to be their land. To exasperate these feelings, local Protestant ministers started fanning the flames claiming that Mormons were fanatical knaves, claiming to have received open revelations, speaking in tongues and healings and miracles. A popular reverend named Finnis Ewing of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church asserted, The Mormons are the common enemies of mankind and ought to be destroyed. Then a reverend of the missionary society went from house to house, seeking to destroy the Mormon church by spreading slanderous falsehoods to incite the people to acts of violence against the Mormons. Continuing with the Missouri settlers' frustrations, they feared financial ruin. 
Merchants in Jackson County owned a lucrative business supplying traders and trappers for the Santa Fe trade. The old settlers were fearful Mormons were going to steal all of their business. Moreover, the Mormons did not purchase goods from local merchants as they had little money, so they traded among themselves and they traded at the bishop's storehouse. Some of the old settlers began to move away and they sold their lands to Mormons, and this meant fewer and fewer customers to the existing merchants. Things became even more difficult when the Mississippi flooded in the spring of 1833 and destroyed the landing in Independence. In response, a new town called Westport was established further upstream, which had a better landing. This caused even more financial ruin to the old settlers. So culturally, they aren't fitting in. The reverends are calling on their destruction, and the old settlers are fearing financial ruin. What else could go wrong? Well, we touched on the Black Hawk War of 1832. The locals of Missouri had heard the stories of the Indians and were fearful about the fact that the federal government was placing these savages on the other side of the Mississippi. This really worried the old settlers, who after the Black Hawk War even petitioned the government to establish a line of military posts for their protection. So then here come the Mormons into this tense situation, declaring the prophetic destiny of all these Native Americans. What would happen if the converted Indians went back to living on the other side of the Mississippi? Lastly, and to top it all off, was the issue of slavery. Missouri had entered the Union as a slave state in the Compromise of 1820. Although there weren't a lot of slaveholders, when compared to other states, the old settlers prized their right to hold slaves, and they despised abolitionism. Some of the Mormons brought abolitionist sentiments from the North and the East, and after the rebellion of Nat Turner, a slave rebellion was always a concern now. Rumors began to swirl that the Mormons were trying to persuade slaves to disobey their masters or run away. So the Mormons decided they had to squelch some of these rumors. So the July 1833 Evening and Morning Star, remember that's the one newspaper in the county and it's run by Mormons, it produced an article cautioning missionaries about proselyting among slaves and among former slaves. But unfortunately, the local people of Missouri misinterpreted this advice to mean that Brother Phelps was inviting free blacks to join the Mormons in Jackson County. The article caused such a furor that Phelps had to issue an extra explaining that the church had no intention of inviting free blacks to Missouri, but his denials were to no avail. So, with all of this going on, a mob atmosphere really began to develop, and in July of 1833, it finally came to a head. The object we'll be discussing today is the Jackson County Secret Constitution. So what is the Jackson County Secret Constitution? The Secret Constitution was a signed manifesto circulated among the prominent settlers of independence in Jackson County that denounced the Mormons and called for a meeting with them on July 20th. The manifesto accused the Mormons of tampering with slaves, encouraging sedition and inviting free Negroes, its words, to join the church and immigrate to Jackson County. It declared the intent of the signers to remove the Mormons peaceably, if they could, but forcibly, if they must. We don't know who exactly wrote that secret constitution, but we do have the names of the signers and we know their professions. Just to name a few, there was Samuel Owens, the county clerk, Russell Hicks, the deputy county clerk, R.W. Cummins, the Indian agent, James Flownroy, postmaster, S.D. Lucas, the colonel and judge of the court, Henry Childs, attorney at law, 
N.K. Olmsted, Doctor, John Smith, Justice of the Peace, Samuel Weston, Justice of the Peace, William Brown, Constable. Those last three had to send a bit of a shudder down the Mormon's back. The idea behind this document just isn't something we can wrap our minds around today. Imagine getting together with your neighbors and signing a document about all the reasons you disliked some of your other neighbors and your demands for them to leave by force if necessary. It just isn't something we can comprehend. But at the time, where state and county militias were fighting slave rebellions, Indian wars, and the like, in the minds of the people of Jackson County, this turned into an Americans versus others type of conflict. So where can you see the secret constitution of Jackson County? There are no physical copies available anymore. Maybe if all the Mormons could reach out to their friends and family members and ask them to look through their grandparents' old filing cabinets for misplaced documents to find one. In the meantime, the verbiage has been documented and is available in the Mormon Church History Library. So how was this secret signed constitution received by the Mormons and what effect did it have on them? On July 20th of 1833, four to 500 disgruntled Missouri settlers met at the Independence Courthouse to finalize the constitution. Of note in attendance was Lieutenant Governor Lilburn Boggs. Boggs was a resident and a large landholder in the county and encouraged the anti-Mormon activities. In the meeting, they read the secret constitution out loud and they committed that no more Mormons be allowed to move to Jackson County and that all those living there must immediately leave. They also demanded the printing press cease all printing immediately. The settlers then appointed some men to take the constitution and their demands to the Mormon leaders. Bishop Partridge and the leadership were shocked by the demands and they couldn't imagine leaving Zion that they were building up. Bishop Partridge asked for three months so that he could coordinate with Joseph Smith and the leadership in Kirtland. That was denied by the settlers. They then asked for 10 days, but the mob was so angry at that point that they were given 15 minutes to come to an agreement. But how could Bishop Partridge make a decision so quickly? The settlers in their fever pitch decided to march on the printing press on the spot. They broke through the doors, threw the furniture into the street, tore apart the type, and ripped up the early copies of the Book of Commandments, or the revelations Joseph Smith had been receiving that the church was getting ready to print in a possible future podcast episode. After leveling the two-story building, they then turned on the merchandise goods stores owned by Mormons. The mob then searched out the Mormon leadership. They found Bishop Partridge, and they grabbed another poor recent convert. They dragged them into the street and demanded that they renounce the Book of Mormon and promise to leave on the spot. When Bishop Partridge told them that he was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ— They brought out the tar and the feathers. We discussed this brand of punishment in the last episode. The Mormons took it without saying a word, and according to the story, Bishop Partridge took it with such meekness that it caused the mob to finally disperse in silence. However, the mob would return on July 23rd and begin to ransack the Mormons' farms. They set fires to homes, fields, and haystacks. They rounded up all the leadership, and under duress, the church leaders signed a written promise that they'd leave the county by the following spring. Joseph Smith would demand that the Mormons stay in their homes in Jackson County, that he would seek legal reprisals. Some Mormons would try to leave immediately and some headed to Van Buren County, but the residents of Van Buren County weren't having them. They signed their own constitution demanding the Mormons leave and they returned to Jackson County. Throughout the rest of the summer, while waiting on legal action to get underway, the Jackson County mobs would enter their homes and ransack their belongings and harass the members, 
even though they signed an agreement that they would do no such thing. Joseph Smith tasked W.W. Phelps and Orson Hyde to take their complaints to Jefferson City, the state capital. But after days of deliberations, they were told it wasn't a state affair and to take it back to the justices of the peace in Jackson County. If you'll remember, those justices of the peace had signed the secret constitution of Jackson County. So that would take a lot of time and it wouldn't get them anywhere. As the fall rolled in, and the Mormons weren't getting any support through the proper legal channels, leadership recommended the Mormons arm themselves to defend their homes and their farms. This further angered the local Missourians, who in October formed a mob again and began to really ransack farms and homes. They drug out a number of leaders, including Hiram Page, one of the eight witnesses of the gold plates, and nearly whipped him to death. They destroyed 13 homes and were coming nightly and attacking the Mormon families. On November 4th, an armed guard of Mormons had a small standoff with the mobs, and shots were fired. In the end, a number of Mormons were injured, and two of the Missourians were killed. This escalation of violence caused Lieutenant Governor Boggs to organize the state militia, but not to bring peace in Jackson County, but to drive out the Mormons for good. In the end, the Mormons would leave everything, pack up their wagons and leave under harassment from the mobs and the militia. They headed for any neighboring county that would take them as refugees. One of the church leaders in Jackson County, Lyman White, reported, I saw 190 women and children driven 30 miles across the prairie with only decrepit men in their company. In the month of November, the ground thinly crusted with sleet, and I could easily follow on their trail by the blood that flowed from their lacerated feet on the stubble of the burnt prairie. By the spring of 1834, all the Mormons are out of Jackson County and their precious Zion. When the Missourians learned of the approach of Mormons from Ohio, they burned the remainder of all the houses and the belongings of the Mormons in an attempt to discourage the return of the exiles. The Mormons would continue to petition the local government, but nothing was done. The Mormons even escalated their case to President Andrew Jackson. However, after the issues in South Carolina, the federal government considered state affairs state affairs and said they couldn't intervene. So, finally, going back to that revelation we read at the beginning of this episode, Joseph Smith said, For after much tribulation come the blessings, wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. Joseph Smith and the Mormons were now wondering, What about Zion? When was their hour of glory? So, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on Jackson County's Secret Constitution. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at Joe H O M C history of Mormon church at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, tell a neighbor or a friend about it. Give me a quick review on iTunes. It means a lot and it inspires me to do more. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>